conducted at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Really good to be with everyone this morning. Nice to see the crowd in the room on this very cold morning in Minnesota, and I guess it's going to get even colder. And for all of you online, either in the live stream on our YouTube channel or on our Zoom link right now. And uh, it's really important that in this new world that we cultivate a sense of community. And, uh, you know, it's nice when we're there in that tactile way and see each other, but... Uh, yeah, just to have the sense of the wider community, people interested in the Buddhist teachings and interested in meditation practice coming together, however we do that. And usually around the solstices and equinoxes, we do the refuge and precept recitation, and I've been posting that online, and for those of you here in the room, you have it in your chant book. And... Uh, We'll do that right before we end at 11.45 uh, Minnesota time. And the children will come in. They've prepared a new song, so even those of you online can stay and hear the singing of the children. We'll have small groups. And then at 12, for those of you in the building, we have a potluck, so you're welcome to stay for that. Even if you didn't know about it and didn't bring any food, feel free to stay if you'd like for that. And it's just the time we do... At least four times a year, like I said, around the solstice, the solstice and the equinoxes, um, we have those um, potlucks just as a chance. And Leah is our generally recently has been organizing these for the community. Thank you so much, Leah, for doing that. Leah Dunman and a few other volunteers came early too to help set up. And just as we're talking about the solstice, uh, Corey Clemenson a long-time leader, and uh, Rob, Robin uh, Major, our office manager, we're going to sponsor an all-night sit Tuesday night. starts at 9 p.m. We'll end at 7 a.m. Is that right? 7? Yeah. So, uh, and we'll do some chanting, and we'll do obviously do some sitting and walking meditation, have some movement, have a few discussions. Um, and this is... Uh, not an uncommon thing in Buddhist circles over the centuries, all the way back, time of the Buddha, you know, around, they based their calendar around the moon cycles and then felt a little too much to start thinking about doing it every full moon. So we thought, well, four times a year, maybe. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if we've done it before. We might, this is our, finishing our 30th year common ground in operation, but uh, this will be, I think, our first time practicing all night. So feel free to join in, and no shame for those of you who leave at 10.30 or 11 or <laughs> 3 in the morning or whatever time. Right? It's just nice to be there. And uh, we'll have some stimulating beverages and <laughs> other ways to kind of keep the fires going. And while I'm doing announcements, I'll just mention we're having um, our 30th annual year-end retreat beginning on the 26th in the evening, ending at noon on the 31st. 
and we have room for the online community, and I think we still have room for people who want to practice in our city center here in Minneapolis. You go home at the end of the day, of course, and there's a break at dinner time where people can go home and walk their dogs or say hi to their kids or whatever. So uh, you can look online, uh, look under the December 26th for the year-end retreat, and you'll see the schedule, see if it makes sense in your life, if you can free up those days between the 26th and the 31st. And then on uh, January, on December 31st in the evening, we have our annual New Year's Eve celebration. I forget if it starts at 7.30 or 7 p.m. We'll do it online and in person. And Ellis uh, Delaney, a wonderful, um, I guess you'd say famous in her own way, singer-songwriter, uh, will be performing. And Gabe Keller Flores, our longtime Dharma teacher and office manager here, will be performing. And We'll do some chanting before midnight and earlier on in the evening have some reflections. <clears throat> so feel free to join in either in person or online. And again, you can generally we ask people to stay until the end of the reflections around 845 or so. Um, but then you can stay as late as you want beyond that. The concert's usually around 10 o'clock and then the end of the evening's uh, chanting and sitting is around 11.30 until midnight. Then we sing a few songs together at midnight. And do a spontaneous, heard only once, community Dharma poem that I'm not going to explain now, but you have to be there. <laughs> Very sweet. And uh, before we do the recitation, the refuge and precept recitation, I thought I'd talk about one way to understand our refuge, what do we actually functionally take refuge in, what do we trust, when the going gets tough, what do we bring to mind? And that's, you know, it's not a philosophical question, it's a functional question. Whether we are conscious of it or not, we do have our refuges. Like when the going gets tough, you know, some of us, some of the time, head to the refrigerator. <laughs> What's in there that can... I mean, it doesn't turn out to be a refuge, but we sort of think that eating something will take care of me. And it kind of works for a few moments, you know, like... And and I don't, I'm not saying that just even in a superficial way, because behind it could be like, honey, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to make you soup. Maybe it will help. Probably won't hurt. Something like that, right? Or I'll fix myself a bath. Or I'll go pet the cat. Or I'll take a walk. Right? And so we have these. They're not what we would consider when we're in a more reflective way, like the deepest refuge. But they are acts of caring for ourselves that matter, that have an effect. But when we're really cornered and we've already gone to the refrigerator and taken the bath and taken the walk and gotten our hug from our friend and the nuzzle from the dog and whatever it's going to be and whatever is weighing down on us is still weighing down on us, what do we turn to? And it's 
it's really okay for us to say to ourselves now, like, because sometimes when, like if I put anybody on the spot, maybe Ruth has the hand mic, we can get it and put you on the spot. What's your refuge? What's there when nothing else is there for you? What understanding, what experience can you count on in your life to free up, at least to some degree, to free up the weight, the fear, the contraction, that existential iciness? Joko Beck, a teacher I really respected, she's passed away now, but she was the head of the San Diego Zen Center for a number of decades, probably, and uh, passed away maybe 10 years ago or something like that. But you can find out about her through her books, um, which are quite good. Joko, Charlotte Joko Beck. Joko is her sort of Zen name. So she practiced in the Zen Buddhist tradition. But uh, she coined a phrase that I really like about these places in our practice and just generally in our lives. She called it being on the icy couch. You know, it's like, oh yeah. And it's, it's sort of where we belong. It's our couch, right? But it's awfully icy, right? It's not very comfortable right now. But it's real in the sense like, and you know that place where we're in that um, familiar icy place where we don't have a easy out. We want to get really familiar with that place, by the way, so we're not surprised by it. It's like you always want to know where it is. And there are different doorways, you know, death, our own death, the death of those we love could be a doorway to that place, or financial insecurity, insecurity around health, insecurities around belonging and being liked and being seen and and all that, you know, kind of ordinary, unavoidable social needs that we all have. And, uh, but all of that inevitable, unavoidable neediness, and I'm not saying that, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, it just sort of comes with the territory of being a human being, meets up with the other reality, which is we're not in control. We can't make this moment, our lives, the way we want it, want it to be. So when we want to be liked, but the reality is right now, I'm just like the way that I'm being liked right now. You know, why I want to be seen, why I want to look this way, not this other way. I think it was in the New York Times. I just finished a almost three-week retreat, so I looked at the New York Times recently, yesterday, or maybe it was even this morning, and there was an article <laughs> about uh, why older people sprout hairs, especially men, in different places, like in our ears and in our nose. And there's actually reasons for why these things happen, but, you know, it's like, I don't want you know, these hairs <laughs> coming out of my ears and my nostrils and, you know, other places. Darker, thicker hair, you know. Or generally, I don't want to look older. 
you know, I'm starting to get these brown spots on my skin and hair is getting thinner and starting to turn gray and, you know, all these just normal things that come with the aging process. And it can be this sort of strong, like, oh, I didn't think this was going to happen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. It's just the achiness that comes and, uh, you know, all the other difficulties in life. Sitting this morning, early in the morning, and normally, you know, I, I get up at five and I feed the cat and then I sit and uh, the cat, I usually can get it up to go outside for a while and then I'm sitting, but now, of course, it's like one of the first colder days. So after several attempts, it decided to stay in. So there, but it, it still wanted to go outside. It just didn't want to go outside. It wanted to want to go outside. <laughs> so there was like practicing with that, you know, and our cat has, like most of these four-legged ones, you know, they know us well and have, we train them basically like what gets our attention and tries everything, you know, and, uh, it sort of knows, like, when I'm not moving, that I'm not going to move. <laughs> but it's, it still kind of thinks. <laughs> so I just try this, this combination. So these kinds of irritants that make life not work. And this is our predicament. And then it, it really begs that question, well, what, what do we do when nothing works? when we're not in control, when we can't change the conditions. What is the refuge that is unconditioned? Meaning, we can go to it, the heart can turn to it, no matter the, let's call them, external conditions, like being older, or being really upset, or being really sad, or lonely, or whatever it is we might feel. Like another thing I did after my longer retreat is, you know, looking at the news and reading about the war in Ukraine. And just how, you know, just it's such a, not uncommon in the scope of human history, for sure, but just such a unworkable situation with no obvious way out. And actual people in the middle of it, not just the Ukrainians, but just the Russian soldiers, you know, just like what a setup for human suffering all around. And then all the other reverberations around the world. And that's just one thing. And there's so many things that we're less aware of, you know, our media pays less attention to that probably are worse, could be much worse. Like what's going on in Yemen. I kind of know something's going on in Yemen, but what exactly, I don't know. And so many other places. And so, like this is also there. So even if I have a nice, like I turn the heat up, and I feel the security of my own home, it's it, it changes knowing that there are a lot of people who can't do that, can't just make their, turn their local little space into some place that feels 
like a nice nest where there's some safety and some comfort. Sort of spoils our comfort knowing that there are people that are not comfortable. Or even our, I don't know if it spoils it, but it it makes it poignant, like even our um, being with good friends, being with family, harmonious family, knowing that people are alone or people um, feel disconnected. So to really reflect on refuge, we need to cultivate this honest relationship with our human predicament. Because then, it's only then when a lot of the false refuges, not false in the sense that they're bad, maybe a better word is limited refuges, like I was talking about earlier, you know, making soup for ourselves. Or I made some chocolate chip oatmeal bars, you know, partly for myself, I made them earlier in the week, and partly to bring the potluck today. (laughs) Right? So it's sort of like that. Both felt really nice, you know, to have, I only ate the edges. (laughs) Which are a little bit, you know, when you bake bars, they're they're always, they're not as kind of chewy, they're more crunchy. So I thought, oh, I'll eat the edge (laughs) and save the nice smita. So, those sort of ways that kind of help that don't really remove the burden from the heart. They're kind of like a balm. They, they make it a little easier to tolerate the world that we live in, the world that we are. Because it's not like we imagine that, oh, it's out there, but there isn't actually that internal and external that's just an idea. It's a very compelling idea. And it, th- it, that idea that's over there is affecting. But it's really stressful to maintain this allegiance to separation, you know, out there, this and that. Because that's not actually our experience. And even in an ordinary sit like we had earlier today, and this kind of gets at our refuge. You know, when we're just cultivating a generous relationship with reality, the present moment, and you can do it right now as I'm talking, there really isn't in our experience, our actual subjective experience, and I'm not talking about anything extraordinary, just our experience right now, There's the idea of out there or external and the idea of internal, but that isn't actually our experience. There's just, the present moment is just this, being known, being felt, right? So that war in Ukraine and the injustice and the oppression and the loneliness and the fear of death and all of these personal and global things that are swirling around, all of that together is this being known. That's why we make such a big deal of compassion in Buddhism. Because you can't be present 
without being profoundly compassionate. Because to be truly, actually open to the way it is means to be in relationship with everything. All the horror, all the injustice, all the beauty, all the goodness, all of it. That's why it's not easy. (laughs) That's why most of us meditators, people who are interested in awareness practice, mostly what we see, right? What do you, what do we see when we sit? We see all the off ramps into distraction. How incredibly effective, compelling those off ramps into thinking about this, even thinking about the world and the injustice in the world. But that's not the same as actually meeting it and our heart breaking open with it. It's like Ajahn Chah, so if you know, a really important teacher here in the West, in our, he's a Thai Buddhist monk uh, who died a couple decades ago, but really influential. And he and many of others have said something similar, like if we haven't shed some tears in our practice, our practice hasn't really begun. Because it really does, it breaks our heart. There's what is getting removed, you know, the sort of awareness, wisdom and awareness, it's like a, the universal solvent. So any defensiveness, any thing that is ineffectively, inefficiently maintaining a sense of separation, wisdom and awareness will dissolve it. And then we're left without any idea of boundary or separation. Even the idea that this is an icy couch, you know, even those spiritual ideas that initially are useful have to be abandoned. Like any version of life sucks. Or, you know, things are really messed up which on one level is true. But even that definition can be a way of separating ourselves. Like the Buddha, you know, was such an effective teacher. He talked about, you know, that uh, the cause for suffering is this identification with desire, like the desire to become somebody, the desire to have something, like to have safety, permanent safety, or my own little island when no one will bother me and not even death. So, but he also mentioned that includes the desire to not want to be, to want to be the heck out of here. Because see, that's its own kind of escape. The sort of more obvious version of the desire for extinction is like getting absorbed in a good book or movies or, you know, gossip or whatever we do to absorb into. And some of these things we absorb into are relatively skillful as a kind of temporary medicine. So I, and I don't know anybody who is free of any of those kind of uses of absorption, you know, this sort of absorbing it to this or that. We do, we need them. 
but they're not a refuge. They're just a way to kind of, when we're overwhelmed and all we know what to do is to panic or get tight, then it can be nice to take a walk in a pleasant place or even get in an airplane and fly somewhere warm if you can afford that or go get a hug from a friend or whatever we might do. But ultimately, we have to find a way, an unconditioned way, to meet the moment, the totality, without any separation or boundaries that feels and looks and is like this. And what's our refuge? What what understanding, what spiritual tools allows the heart to open in that way? A lot of the ways we talk in Buddhism is about what isn't the way. And in there, as I mentioned, you know, just this way of uh, imagining that stinginess might be the way. <laughs> and we learn, oh no, that stinginess is not the way. It doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves or we don't put money in the bank or we don't, you know, eat some of the oatmeal bars (laughs) and save some of them for the community potluck. But the way of relating that is stingy doesn't lead to release, doesn't lead to freedom, doesn't lead to intimacy with all things. It leads to stinginess. And that feels like this. And we can directly experience that And we can build the confidence, okay, stinginess isn't the way. Justifying harming. So I did pick up the cat (laughs) at some point. This is later, after the sit, when I was preparing the talk. And I, I, you know, this is like 15th time. It's begging me to let it outside. And I go, I open the door, and then it doesn't want to go. So I picked it up. But I I saw the hostility in my mind, in my heart. (laughs) And I realized I don't have to be hostile. I can do this. And I brought, and I put the cat outside and shut the door. And it stayed there, you know, for, I don't know, three or four minutes before it came to the window and said it wanted to come back. And I let it back in. But then it was quiet. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe that works. But, but that, that sense of like, oh, I, I, I could rationalize being angry. Like, like we don't have to rationalize being stingy or being angry. We can still do function, you know, show up in functional ways in these tricky, messy, ordinary situations and being human. Because it isn't easy figuring out, like, how to raise kids or how to do this or do that, how to be in partnership with another human being, how to earn a living or you know, how much of my resources to share with others versus saving for the rainy day or for retirement. These are unanswerable questions in my mind. But we still have to, we don't get it out. We still have to navigate that world. That's our world. But we don't have to be stingy. We don't have to justify ill will. And the third thing, you know, just as a take-home reflection is, We don't have to justify being disconnected, not being aware. 
And these are three things. This is, for those who know the Buddhist list, this is dana, sila, bhavana. This, these are, the Buddha basically said, guaranteed whether you're a spiritual person or not, if you cultivate dana, sila, and bhavana, you will be cultivating the seeds of happiness. It will not, it cannot not happen, the deepening of happiness. So dana is generosity, sila, is this commitment to not harming, not justifying hate and harm. And bhavana means cultivating the heart, which basically trusting the stability of present moment awareness. And this is all three of these. These are things we can actually check out. And like I mentioned earlier in the talk, a lot of the learning is when we go the other way. So it's, instead of cultivating the stability of present moment awareness, we cultivate distractedness and superficiality. Right? Instead of sila, non-harming, we cultivate, we, we notice how we're justifying getting even. Somebody's got to show this person that they can't do this. You know? But it's not that we shouldn't say what needs to be said. But it's the hostility in the heart, like really? That hostility, that anger, that throwing somebody out of our heart needs to be there? Really? And we're, we can see what hate leads to. What does that set in motion? What does stinginess set in motion? What does distractedness set in motion? Well, it sets in motion more of the same. More stinginess, more hate and more distractedness, more superficiality, and just the disconnection that comes from it. So before we run out of time, let's go ahead and do the recitation that we do. We can take out the, uh, forget what page it is in there, maybe something like uh, 32, or somebody finds it there. 22? The Common Ground... Uh, Refuge and Precept Ceremony. There's a more traditional version earlier in the chant book. Oh, I've got a chant book here. I can find it. Here it is. It's page 35. Yeah. And for those online, I put it into the uh, chant. Good. Lucy's put it into the chat there for us. So you can open that up and you'll see the refuge and precept ceremony. You can open, click that link for those of you online. It takes about seven minutes to recite this together. So first we honor our teacher. The Buddha is considered a teacher, human being, lived 2,500 years ago, and his teachings we still use. So we honor him. We say that namo tasa part three times. Then we take refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, which is just Buddhist code for our practice. Buddha means to be awake. That's what that word means, Buddha. Dhamma, or Dharma, means the way it is, being awake to the way it is. Sangha is how we engage when we're actually intimate with the way it is, how we act, how we show up. That's what Sangha means. We generally use Sangha as spiritual community, but, you know, sometimes spiritual community isn't spiritual community. It's just a bunch of hateful, stingy people, right? 
It's spiritual community when people are intimate with their experience and then their response comes out of that being present. So we take refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha three times. Then we do the five precepts, all about non-harming. And uh, we'll take some time and you can read silently Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, reflection. So we'll take about 45 seconds after each of the precepts just to be able to read through those uh, comments from a beloved teacher who passed away in February after a really long life. He was a Vietnamese person, Buddhist monk, who got kicked out of Vietnam during the Vietnam War, but fortunate for those of us in the West, he taught in the West for many decades and eventually went back to Vietnam before he died. So let's go ahead and do the refuge and precepts. You can use this gesture if you want. Hands together, we'll begin with the sound of the bell. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangang Saranang Gachami Dutyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dutyampi Samang Saranang Gachami Dutyampi Sangang Saranang Gachami Tatyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Tatyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Tatyampi Sangang Saranang Gachami. So I'll turn the page and we'll do the, re- uh, the precepts next. And we'll do the precepts first in Pali, then we'll read the English translation, and then you can read, if you want, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's comments underneath. So the first precept. Panati Pata. Where Amini Sika Padangsa Mariami, I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I am committed to cultivating compassion and learning ways to protect the lives of all beings. I am determined not to kill, not to let others kill, and not to condone any act of killing in the world, in my thinking, in my way of life. This is the first of the five mindless trainings I vow to study and practice. So just contemplating that for a few seconds. And now the second. Adina dana where amini sikapadang samariyami. I undertake the training to refrain that which is not given. If someone wants to read out loud that. Be great. Aware of the suffering caused by the exploitation, social injustice, 
stealing, and oppression, I am committed to cultivating loving-kindness and learning ways to work for the well-being of all, or all beings. I will practice generosity in sharing my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in real need. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. I will respect the property of others, but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering and the suffering of other species on earth. This is the second of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. You're contemplating? And now the third. Kame su michachara where amini sika padangsa mariami I undertake the training to refrain from causing harm through sexual misconduct. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I'm committed to cultivating responsibility and learning ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. I'm determined not to engage in sexual activities without love and commitment, to preserve the happiness of myself and others, I am determined to respect the commitments and commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to protect couples and families from being harmed by sexual misconduct. This is the third of the five mindfulness trainings I vow to study and practice in. And now the fourth training. Musawada where amnani sikapadamsa mariami. I undertake the training to refrain from false and harmful speech. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I am committed to cultivating loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and relieve others of their suffering. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I am determined to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. I will not spread information that I do not know to be certain. I will not criticize or condemn things of which I am not sure. I will refrain from uttering words with the intention of causing division or discord. I am determined to make efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. This is the fourth of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. Now the fifth precept. Shura Maria Majapamara Tana where Amnani Sika Padamsa Mariami. I undertake the training to refrain from the misuse of intoxicants. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consumption, and committed to the cultivation of good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family, and my society, by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I will ingest only items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy in my body, in my consciousness, and in the collective body and consciousness of my family and society. 
I'm determined not to misuse alcohol or any other intoxicants or to ingest foods or other items that undermine spiritual growth, such as unwholesome TV programs, magazines, books, films, and conversations. I'm aware that to damage my body or my consciousness with such poisons is to harm all beings. I understand that a proper diet is crucial for self-transformation and for the transformation of society. This is the fifth of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. Just reflecting what that might look like in our lives. And then we'll end with this short phrase at the bottom. Idam me silam magafalanyanasa pachayo ho tu. May my conduct lead to attainment of the deepest fruits of liberation. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.